For the past three years, the Science of Reading Star Awards have honored educators who are beacons of light, guiding their classrooms, schools, districts, and most importantly, students through transformations with literacy. Now join us as we honor this year's winners at a special celebration event, which will feature celebrity keynoters and past podcast guests, Mitchell Brookins. Two years ago, one of my students as a school administrator came to me on the playground and he said, Mr. Brookins, I want to be like the other kids. And I said, what do you mean? He said, Mr. Brookins, I want to learn how to read. And Malcolm Mitchell. When I scored a touchdown, they either probably put my name in a newspaper, people probably tell me good job all around town. But when I finished one book, no one ever said anything. So which one am I more likely to repeat? Find out more information and register for the 2024 Science of Reading Star Awards ceremony at amplify.com slash Star Awards celebrations. That's amplify.com slash Star Awards celebration, all one word. What if a change in classroom practice could lead to change in reading outcomes? What should reading instruction include to ensure all students have the opportunity to succeed? What does cognitive science tell us about learning to read? And why aren't those learnings applied in our classrooms? Welcome to Science of Reading, the podcast. I'm your host, Susan Lambert from Amplify Education. Join us every two weeks as we talk with Science of Reading experts to explore what it takes to transform our classrooms and develop confident and capable readers. Our special guest today is Ernie Ortiz, a building level administrator in Pennsylvania. Ernie shares his journey into the importance of reading science how it changed his thinking, and how he brought change leadership to both his staff and parent community. We also take time to talk about how he applied reading science in real ways in response to COVID-19 school closure. It's an important and relevant episode. Well, good morning, Ernie. Thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's truly a pleasure. Yeah, and you know, you've been listening to the podcast. I know you know that we always like to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about your background and what's your journey to where you are now. Yes, absolutely. So I am in the third year of the principalship at McDonald Elementary School in southeastern Pennsylvania, a K-5 building, and I've been in elementary education. This is my 19th year. Uh, prior to being the principal of McDonald Elementary School, I was a 13-year elementary teacher in grades K to 5. I moved around a lot, and that was quite all right because I, it, all those years and the variety of grades that I taught has helped me be the leader I am today. I was an assistant principal uh, for three years prior to be becoming a principal. I was in an urban district for the first 16 years of my career, and now I'm in a suburban district uh, about 25, 30 minutes uh, northeast of Philadelphia. Wow. Amazing. And I think I remember you telling me that not only are you a principal in the community, but you're, you live in the community and your kids go to the school. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, so, yep, when I became the principal of McDonald Elementary School, uh, my wife and I made the uh, decision to move within the district but particularly move within the building that I was uh, selected to lead. And we thought 
at the time, why not? We wanted to show that our, our community, that we were as invested as you can be. And I take great pride in saying that we're triple invested. We live in the community, we work in the community, and our children go to the schools in the community. I love that. I love that. I remember as a kid in my neighborhood elementary school, walking to school every day and walking by Mr. Grettenberg's house was the fifth grade teacher. And there's just something, uh, there's something special about that. And kudos to you. You sort of came up in elementary education too. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, unusual you. to have male role models in elementary. So I love that. Thank you. Um, so you have started to become, though, a voice for the, the topic of the science of reading. How did you become aware of it and become interested in that whole topic? That's a, that's a great question. So as I said, I'm, I'm starting my 19th year in education, and it wasn't until my 18th year that I became re remotely aware of the scientific knowledge base behind reading acquisition, and it wasn't until the 2018 release of Emily Hanford's work, Hard Words, which really opened my eyes to the scientific uh, knowledge base that supports reading acquisition. And it, I went through the stages of uh, denial, anger, and ultimately acceptance because all the things that Emily Hanford was chronicling in terms of what strategies I thought were good to teach readers how to read were actually did not align with the evidence base and it took me some time to digest that and it really prompted me to dive deeper into the theoretical frameworks uh, and the theory behind reading acquisition and I took that entire year to really immerse myself in that through my dissertation work at Delaware Valley University and it wasn't until 2019 I brought that to the forefront of my building and my teachers. Hmm. Um, what, how did that, so, so that Emily Hanford podcast, when you, when you listened to that and you sort of applied that to what you did as a teacher, where, like, mm -hmm. where were you when you were teaching, you know, literacy? Yeah. So, uh, all of the, what we call Pinterest reading strategies in terms of looking at the first letter, looking at the pictures taking a guess as to what a word was in terms of how to decode a word. Those were the strategies that I would teach my boys and girls when we were working in our small group reading instructions. I would remember telling them, good readers make predictions at what this word is by looking at the pictures, looking at the first letter and guessing at the word and, and, and or skipping the word and using context clues to figure out what that word is. And, now that I know better, I, I feel like it was educational malpractice on my part because I just think about all the bad advice I gave and, and I wish I could turn back time and, and do a better job. But now uh, my, my goal is to help inform my teachers and my community as well about what the evidence base is and how teaching practices and all practices align to help support our boys and girls ability to read. Mm -hmm. Kudos to you for, you know, making it through the, wait a minute, this is, this doesn't feel right. I'm pushing back on it, but, um, but maybe I, that motivated you to actually dig in and to learn more. Absolutely. And the fact that it took me that long, 18 years to really even be exposed to the reading research and, and the evidence, it, it baffles me. And 
I didn't want to be a victim of the moment after reading Emily Hanford's initial article, Hard Words, back in, I believe it was September of 2018. So I took the time to really understand the research and immerse myself so that when it came time to approach my staff with this knowledge base, I knew I, I would be clashing with people's identities in terms mm-hmm. of um, how they saw and viewed reading acquisition. So I wanted to be well-versed in, in the reading research so that we could have constructive conversations that were meaningful, powerful, and that helped us align ourselves with the literature in terms of uh, how we should go about teaching reading. Hmm, that makes sense. Ta- can you talk a little bit more or expand a little bit about what you mean by victim of the moment? Yeah, so as as a teacher myself for 13 years in, and teachers all across the country, I'm sure would agree that you, you don't want your leadership to read an article, read a book, and then on over the weekend and then Monday try to implement change, right? <laughs> right. And, and get in front of you at a faculty meeting and say, hey, we've been teaching reading the wrong way for however, however many years. And then they, you, get, you get asked questions that you're not prepared to answer, right? And then it just, it, you stall any type of literacy change or momentum before it even starts. So you, you want to be mindful of that. You have to be some level of um, um, uh, strategic in terms of your approach because reading is such a big and important topic and how we go about teaching reading, there's so many strong opinions on that that you want to be able to tactfully and respectfully push back, so to speak, with what what the evidence says and, and, and how that aligns with uh, instructional practices in the classroom so that you're not turning people off before you even start. That's a really important message and important for leadership to hear too. Um, I know as a teacher, as an early teacher, I actually had administrators that did that. And it's that that's like that whiplash effect, right? Like, well, this is evidence-based. Let's do this today. And tomorrow we're doing something else. I think teachers are getting tired of that. I agree. And I, I have to give a lot of kudos to David Kilpatrick, who I've really I've made it a point to read any anything he's written, watch any webinar he produces, because he talks about um, how we need to make, make sure that we have this, this level of knowledge base so that we're not simply trying to evidence-based and research-based. Yep. When we, when we talk about things that are evidence-based and research-based, David Kilpatrick mentions that, how there's no, there, there's no coining of that term. That can be used in any capacity. So you really need to be mindful of the material that's out there that coins itself as aligned with the evidence and research-based. And that's where I feel like we need to be more informed than influenced so that we can look at things with a critical eye and say, okay, this says it's research-based or evidence-based, but looking at it with my critical eye, I can tell that there's gaps here that perhaps we should move on to something else, another resource or another program or whatever, whatever the case may be. So that's one big takeaway I've taken uh, from David Kilpatrick's work in terms of being mindful and cautious of things that are evidence-based, research-based, or even brain-based because you know everything's brain-based. And, and, and I, I, I take a great deal of uh, pride in making sure I'm a lot more cautious than I was before instead of just jumping right in with things that are are claiming to be evidence, research, or brain-based. 
Yeah, I love what you just said there that um, it's important to be informed rather than being influenced mm -hmm. and especially for a leader, right, to make sure that they really, really know what, what the focus is going to be in terms of their literacy approach. So it sounds like you, you have done and continue to do a lot of digging and a lot of learning and you apply that in your building. How about you talk to us about how you set out then to change the approach to literacy in your school, knowing what you, you know, all the learning that you were, you were having. Mm -hmm. So to start this school year, the 2019 school year, at the end of August, Emily Hanford released her second article. That really just motivated me even more to push forward with this, this approach and this change to literacy in our building. And we were coming off uh, uh, a successful school year in terms of our state testing and where we saw gains in reading and math in grades 3, 4, and 5 across all areas and it was awesome and we we celebrated rightfully so my teachers worked very hard the boys and girls worked very hard and it was a successful academic year and you know over the summer you look at you look at the data and, and things just didn't sit well with me in terms of where we were with literacy and so made it a point to bring that up as a state of a union so to speak in grades one through five where we were to start the school year with all my teachers and you you start the change process by creating a sense of urgency, and it might sound cliche, but it really is what is something that you want to do in terms of uh, impacting change. And so the, the the sense of urgency was this is where we are, but we can be better, and mm -hmm. we should be better for our boys and girls because right now, if we line up our third grade boys and girls, you know we have sixty two percent of our boys and girls who are proficient or advanced. But that means I still have four out of ten, and I'm going to line up ten boys and girls in third grade. Who are the four? Who are the four boys and girls that aren't going to be proficient or advanced? And that to me just didn't sit well. Yeah. And so we we had that conversation, which really was eye opening, I believe, for our faculty and created that sense of that sense of urgency that we yes, now is the time that we need to really start uh, impacting change and and how can we go about doing that? And that helped spark the conversation. That's really interesting. So coming off of a celebration, hey, we did pretty good on the state assessments, and then to, yeah, well, we did pretty good, but look at all the kids that were still not serving well. Right. And, you, and as a leader, you need to be mindful that you don't discredit the success that your, your school, your teachers, your students have. So it wasn't like the scores were released and yes, but it was more time after you digest and reflect. I mean, it was months later after scores were released. Uh, we get the scores back in June. You have the summer to digest, reflect, and it's like, okay, how can we build upon that that success and make it even more? And I talk to my teachers about, I want to raise our floor so that we know what our success will be because this is our floor and mm -hmm. our ceiling can be up here. And that's mm -hmm. really what I believe, I'm blessed as, as a building principal to, to have teachers who are all in to do what they they see as the best interest for the boys and girls. And I take great pride in our building, making decisions in the best interest of boys and girls and not in the best interest of adults. And I, I'm blessed to have teachers who do that. So what's the first thing that you actually did after you sort of set this out in front of them, that sort of the challenge in front of them? What's really the first thing that you did to change the approach? Yep, yep. So the, one of the first things was, I, I know the Reading League had an event over here at St. Joe's University in early October. 
Mm. And one of the and it was a free event. It was on a Thursday night at seven <laughs> o'clock. And so, you know, Thursday night, seven o'clock, not the most appealing time to be going to do right. a, a conference or a symposium type of uh, meeting. But it, that's when they offered it. It was free. So I put it out to my teachers and one, the logistics don't always match up, but, you know, on a Thursday night to be driving somewhere that's an hour and a half away, uh, more because of congestion and traffic than anything else when you're entering the city. I, I had a number of teachers who were willing to do that. And uh, a number of teachers went with me and, and that really helped spark the, the early adopters in terms of embracing the science of reading. And, and the entire building then, leveraging the leadership of the early adopters, looking at the theoretical frameworks of the science of um, the simple view of reading, and also looking at the infographic of Scarborough's reading rope, and really understanding those models to help inform us of how reading acquisition works. Because it had been, I'm starting my 19th year, and I'm talking to teachers about the simple view of reading, and Scarborough's reading rope, and all of my teachers were unaware of, of those models. Yeah, and, I was going to ask you yeah. how many of them actually knew that that research. Yeah, none of them, and no, no indictment on them. It's right. really more an indictment on our inability to bring this this knowledge base to our teachers. And so we start with the simple view of reading and understanding how reading comprehension is the product of uh, decoding, or what uh, Kilpatrick explains as word-level reading, and multiplying that by the, the boys and girls' language comprehension or listening comprehension. And those two factors uh, equal students' ability to comprehend what they read. And mm-hmm. so understanding those two components in the process of attaining reading comprehension is where we're focusing on a great deal and particularly in grades K to two. And we have made it a point to align human resources, align um, funding and align professional development with all of that in mind with the literacy theoretical frameworks of the simple view of reading, Scarborough's reading rope, so that we can align our instruction and our practice in the classroom with those models to really truly impact literacy change. Hmm. So it started with you putting out a challenge and then you offered an opportunity through the through the Reading League, which is great. We'll link our, yeah. our listeners in the show notes to, to them as well. They're doing just some great work across the country. So you had teachers go learn about that. When those teachers came back, what kind of influence did they have, you know, across the rest of the staff? So as, as an incentive, I will add that I can only provide so many incentives at the building level, but I put it out there that I would purchase a book of their choosing from the knowledge base in terms of what the Reading League had on the website. And books were, uh, for example, Mark Seidenberg's book, um, Language at the Speed of Sight. Yeah. Um, we had Louisa Motz's book, um, Speech to Print. Speech to Print, yep. yep. Uh, David Kilpatrick's Essentials book. And I, I, they were the first adopters in terms of immersing themselves in the knowledge base. And they were able to help support, particularly in K-1-2, our shift for, to aligning with the evidence base in terms of word-level reading, 
and understanding how word level reading mastery works, what it looks like, how instruction impacts that, and how that translates in kindergarten to first, and how that goes from first to second. And in particular, I, I have to give a, kud, a shout out to my K-2 teachers because they have been so willing to embrace all of that knowledge and then ask, okay, what does that look like in the classroom? We will have grade level meetings. We'll have professional learning opportunities. And my reading specialists who have been phenomenal in providing coaching and support conversations that we've had prior to grade level meetings and, and professional learning so that we can truly align our instructional practices with word level reading acquisition, building that language comprehension piece to support the ultimate goal of boys and girls being able to comprehend what they read. And our K-2 teachers are setting our three to three, four, and five teachers up very nicely because if you really want to impact systemic change in terms of how reading is happening in your building, I, I thoroughly believe truly that you need to start in K-1-2. That if you're going to be starting in three, four, five, or attempting to just uh, backload the, the testing grade, so to speak, you're never going to be as successful as you could be if you start with the foundational stuff, the foundational skills in K-1-2. Yeah, true, right? So it's better to prevent the issues than to go back and remediate the issues. And, Correct. and I think you're right. It, it starts with a strong foundation. And it like another cliche, but it takes a village. It sounds like your whole K-1-2 community is really rallying around uh, the reading science. I would say so. And, and I take great pride. Uh, I know my second grade team, we've really... Uh, made it a, a focus because according to the research, you have that word explosion in, in the second grade transition to the third grade years um, for boys and girls and their sight word vocabulary. And we talked about that. And my second grade teachers are like rolling their sleeves up and, and, not, and my K and one as well, but particularly with my second grade, I'm working with them closely in terms of um, fostering that word, uh, sight word explosion so that we could truly have boys and girls who are entering third grade with an, a strong ability to decode what they're reading, understand what they're reading, which will set up uh, for future success. So maybe we'll segue a little bit. You've talked a lot about what happens uh, on the word recognition side of the house. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. What are you doing and how are you thinking about the language comprehension knowledge building piece of it? Yeah. So. I will say I did attend the Reading League conference this past October, and it was it was wonderful and great. And anyone who can definitely make it out there, I would recommend <laughs> that they do. Absolutely. And so, I took a lot away from that conference in terms of the language comprehension piece because I wanted to really dig deeper into that. And when I came back, sharing with my with my team here, our building, and in terms of how we need to be more mindful with building background knowledge, right? Leveraging science and social studies in a way that helps support supports that. It's just been my experience over the course of my career that science and social studies typically get sacrificed for test prep or um, any other thing that needs to be put into our everyday in terms of scheduling. The yeah. first thing that's sacrificed is science and social studies, right? And we need to be mindful that we're not doing that because those are excellent knowledge building opportunities through read alouds or, or uh, activities or virtual field trips, and then being very strategic with the vocabulary development. And we spoke about how tier one, 
tier two and tier three words that we need to be pulling out from these read-alouds and from um, passages that we have with the boys and girls and really developing their oral language capacity so that when they see these words in print, they have that oral language comprehension to connect to it so that it builds the vocabulary. And, you know, we're starting in, in kindergarten, building tier two language uh, vocabulary walls for our boys and girls with also some, now tier two, we look at more being words that are uh, adverbs or maybe adjectives and the tier three words, vocabulary words are more content specific words based off of whatever the background is that you're reading about the content. And we're being very, focused on building that background knowledge and then also the listening comprehension piece and and understanding that if if a, a child has strong listening comprehension then we can be confident in saying that it's just a matter of us being able to teach them how to pull the words off the paper and having those conversations with my with my teachers and having this level of understanding is really changing our instruction and our assessment piece here at McDonald. Hmm. And so you're introducing then, would you say more science and social studies into the ELA block? We're in, and we are being strategic with that and, and also the resources that we've purchased. Now, I talked about earlier how we've aligned our human resources, our funding to right. purchase resources, but also our time in terms of professional learning. Well, in terms of funding, you know, we're, that's always a finite thing. So leaders have to be um, somewhat flexible, nimble with how they go about securing, uh, securing resources. And mm -hmm. I'm blessed to have a home and school organization, or some places might call them a, a parent-teacher organization, a PTO. Mm -hmm. we, we call it home and school here. And, and I, like I said, I shared what we're doing here at McDonald with my community and what my vision is our vision, I should say here moving forward. And they were all on board and able to support a purchasing the uh, codable readers through uh, geodes. Okay. And the geodes, which are a new resource are wonderful with building background knowledge that our boys and girls are not exposed to. One of my teachers said to me that the boys and girls like learning some of the new things that they haven't been exposed to in terms of the books that they're reading. So during the, you know, the ELA block, they have opportunities, not only to practice with a resource that's connected to their learning in terms of phonics, but then they're also being exposed to a theme or content that's new to them and helps build their background knowledge. Yeah, it's amazing when you give kids things to learn about or new content, um, how motivated and excited they get to even learn more. I don't know if you found kids are checking out books differently at the library and talking about things differently, but we typically see that when you start introducing knowledge to kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'd like to make a little shift. Um, we're in a really weird sort of time in the educational world and in society in general, in the midst of COVID-19 and mm. school closures and uncertainty. Um, so a, a couple of things, maybe first of all, when you're thinking about, you know, all this new focus that you've had on your students in terms of the the science of reading um, and, and new instruction, uh, how, how are you feeling now about 
I think your school is out for a bit. Is that right? Yes, we are currently closed for, we're on day three of a two-week closure, 10 school days. So we're on day three. Do you, and do you have spring break backed up to that at all? Our spring break is in April. So okay. our next scheduled day of school is uh, March 30th. And so um, we'll see how that works. But no, our spring break is not a week long. It's, it's a Friday, Monday okay. combination. So it's, a, yeah. it's only really two school days, but with the weekend, four days. Um, but yeah, this COVID-19 has really halted our momentum, I, so to speak, in terms of what we've been doing. And but, you know, it's it's for the betterment of all everyone involved. Absolutely. And so you're just fresh into it. So I'm 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 sure you're, you know, haven't figured everything out at all. But um, you talked quite a bit about the strong sort of parent, you know, community school that you have there. Mm-hmm. Um, what what kind of things have you done to sort of help support parents then at home as they're thinking about having their students, students there? Um, mm-hmm. and, and what they can do for them? Well, there are so many resources out there to help support what we've been doing here at school. Really, a lot. And it can be very overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, and a lot. So, yeah, a plethora, <laughs> if, if you will. And so what I, like, what I try to do is help guide my parents and give them a, a level of focus, particularly the, 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 the parents who might not be in the field. Now, we have a lot, of, a number of parents who are in the field of education. So for them, it, it might not be as overwhelming, but it still can be very overwhelming, especially when you have, uh, think about it like this, you have resources from A to Z, and there's 20 resources for every level, uh, for every letter, right? So that you do the math, you're, you're talking hundreds and hundreds of resources. So uh, I made it a, a point to send the communication out to my community in terms of if you if you have the opportunity to uh, support what we're doing here, uh, I provided some level of resources with Hegarty to help support the phonological awareness piece that we've incorporated in all of K to two classrooms this year, which we we weren't doing prior to this year, and so uh, they were great and provided. YouTube videos for sample lessons, and then provided three weeks worth of lessons that people could rely on. So that was the word recognition piece. And in terms of the background, building background knowledge, so many ways you could do that. But I I suggested to my community relying on things that we have, like Newzella. We we leverage Newzella in our district, which is a a great resource for tech sets and, and a variety of uh, nonfiction topics, and they also have fiction topics, and also paired texts, uh, virtual field trips. Uh, a lot of resources out there to take virtual field trips. You know, we are being asked to stay home and and self quarantine, so to speak. So a virtual field trip seems like a very safe way to build background knowledge in the comfort of your own home. And then I just appreciate Scholastic Learn at Home. I thought it was an uh, uh, excellent digital resource that the parents could rely on. Uh, I know, for example, the kindergarten, day one, they were talking about animal studies. So you're building that background knowledge in terms of uh, animals. But then for the grade three to five band, the intermediate grades, the, the passage they had for day, one of the passages they had for day one was talking about how a teenage girl was changing the way the world views disabilities. And, and again, building a particular background knowledge on the content like that, I think is just wonderful. So those were four resources that I thought would help kind of give some level of um, 
guidance for our parents if they really wanted to leverage the, the number of resources that are now available out there between uh, now and the end of the school year, quite frankly, amidst uh, COVID-19. Yeah. I love how you like how you approach that because when I look out to like every day, you know, the the greater community has really, really stepped up to fill the gap, to help mm -hmm. kids learn at home. Um, but I really love how you sort of curated those resources for your community to point them in directions that help sort of support this initiative that you, that you have for them. Um, have you had, I mean, I, this is probably not a fair question, but it's only been day three. Have you had any response from your community in terms of, of the resources you provided? Yeah, I have. I, I, I take great pride in being uh, accessible to my, to the community here. I mean, I live in the community, so yeah. <laughs> uh, they know me very well. And, and whenever someone reaches out, I make it a point to respond. Now, these are just suggestions and, and of course, no requirements tied into doing any sure. of these things because um, we nothing can replace um, teacher-led instruction at the school site, in my opinion, right? Yeah. And so these are just ways and suggestions that I put out to the parents so that we can uh, sharpen the, the, keep the blade sharp, so to speak, in terms of our knowledge base. And, sure. And this is just a way that if a parent reaches out to me, I had one this morning about uh, Newzella. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things really is is accessing this this material at times, the logistical stuff and the technology piece behind it. And we try to work with parents on that as well. But uh, in terms of guidance and what they can do over the break, we're trying our best to, to, to meet their needs. And, you know, when you have a school as big as ours, we have 830 students. You know, that's, that's a large population of, of families that you're you're trying to meet. But that's what that's what I signed up for. And we take great pride in being able to serve our community in that capacity. Yeah, well, we really appreciate the work that you're doing and appreciate you taking time to talk about both your science of reading journey and then, mm -hmm. you know, doing a little pivot in terms of, uh, you know, our COVID-19 sort of environment and that changing landscape. Um, mm -hmm. Um, to close, I'd really like to hear your view on leadership because um, I value what you're doing in terms of change management in your building, mm -hmm. um, the knowledge that you've built to help sort of shift what that looks like and then, you know, applying that to, you know, this emergency situation. So, yeah. so talk a little bit about that. You know, what's important for a leader during these times of change and, and uncertainty? Well, d definitely during this time of change and really history in the making is what I've been saying because we're living history right now. This is yeah. something that's never, this is unprecedented times. And, you know, leaders have to approach situations in a calming way. And I, I believe that the rapport I've built with this community, the relationships, it all starts with that. And a leader has to know, you know, how, how do you communicate with your community in a way that you, you're... Paying respect to what the concerns are, the level of angst that's out there, but also reassuring that we are going to get through this together and that we need to have that sense of calm that lets everyone know that you're here to support them and that you understand that they have a level of angst. And, and whenever you're dealing with uh, the most precious things in, in parents' lives, you know, their children... Um, you need to make sure that you are reassuring to them and that you are uh, mindful that they are maybe feeling nervous, a level of angst, and you, you honor that, you respect that, but then you also provide a level of reassurance that I, I, 
we are going to get through this and we are, we are addressing this situation. And when you're dealing with, you know, like I said, I have 830 students here, you're dealing with 15 to 1600 parents. That's a, that's a lot of um, concerned parents that are really just want to know that their, their children are going to be safe and, and we need to, as leaders, remain calm and steadfast and so that we can navigate through these, these just unprecedented times. And when you think about what you want to do academically and, and the success that we're having and how I mentioned how the momentum, you know, you, we, it gets stalled slightly with COVID-19, but quite honestly, unless you're fostering a safe and healthy environment, you're not going to get to that academic piece. And so we need to make sure that, that envir- the environment that we have at the building level at schools across the country are safe and are healthy for the boys and girls to maximize the learning that's supposed to happen. Yeah, that's great advice. I just, I really appreciate that. And, and again, um, we will link our listeners in the show notes to mm-hmm. both the reading league and then also your blog, if you don't mind. Yes, absolutely. I started a blog this year called Decoding Leadership. And I, I chose that verbiage because I, th- I thought it served two purposes, obviously decoding in terms of the literacy piece, and but it also can play itself into other aspects of leadership like leading through COVID-19 and, and making sure that we are connected with our communities and not simply taking a, a, a summer vacation, so to speak, a mini summer vacation in the middle of, of March, right? Right. <laughs> um, and, and so decoding leadership, yep, I've, I have a couple blogs out there and and I look forward to doing more, uh, more blogging and chronicling where we are in the change process, specifically with our, our literacy uh, approach here at McDonald and, and other topics as well. Great. Well, we'll be reading along with you. So hmm. thanks again for joining us um, today. We appreciate it. And best of luck uh, to you in, in your challenging times here. Thank you so much, Susan. I, I truly appreciated uh, being on the Science of Reading podcast. I am humbled and honored that you would consider to have me on. Thank you. We're so grateful to our amazing guest today and to all of you making a difference in the lives of students every single day. Be sure to check the show notes for resource links from today's podcast, and we want to hear your stories and successes. Follow us on Facebook at Science of Reading the Community, or if you're looking to help implement the science of reading, send an email to sormatters at amplify.com. Tell us what guests you think we should book, or tell us about the research that really excites you. And be sure to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Susan Lambert.